Blog Talk Radio. Hello. Today we have with us branding guru Liz Goodgold. She is a fiery speaker, coach, and author of the just-published Red Fire Branding. Liz has worked for gigantic companies such as Quaker Oats, Arco Oil, ProFlowers.com, but also helps small businesses figure out how to create a hot brand that brings them attention, credibility, and the business. June Davidson and I have seen this guru in action. She is the best in the business. Welcome, Liz. Nice to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Wonderful. And Robbie and I were talking earlier and had a chance to chat with you a little just before we come on. And I'm always the one that says, Liz, how did this all get started, the branding and the marketing? And tell us your story. Sure. Well, I got into branding because I was at Quaker Oats, and I was in charge of a little business called Oatmeal for them. <laughs> yes, a little that's bit. a good one to be in. <laughs> and what happened was I was working on really trying, like most people in business, grow sales. So one of the opportunities that I had was to figure out, well, maybe we could sell 100% natural cereal, which is a granola-type product, as a topping to Baskin-Robbins and TCBY mm. yogurt chains. Wow. And how did that come about, thinking about it? Well, I think it was a natural, I mean, yogurt and TCBY was the darling of Wall Street at the time. It's uh-huh. soft and it's smooth and it was low calorie, but we know that consumers like crunch. They like taste. They like texture. That's why we mm. love fried foods. Mm-hmm. And so if we took vanilla, soft, creamy with crunchy granola, 100% natural cereal, we would have a winner. But what I heard instead from the CEO was, Liz, why don't you think like everybody else? That's not your job. (laughs) That's what I was told. I was told, Liz, your job is to grow sales. I said, but this will grow sales. He says, oh, but I mean only in the grocery stores. Uh I said, but if we teach people how to do it at the yogurt stores, they'll then buy it to do it at home. And so not only do we win Mm. with the consumer, we double the exposure and we get what I call mind share. People have to think of you in order to do business with you. That's right. right. And so it finally I was able to do that deal, and that was probably one of the greatest accomplishments I ever had at Quaker. But it really injected to me and into my vocabulary this phrase called vanilla marketing because that's exactly what the CEO said to me. He says, Liz, why can't you be vanilla like everybody else? Mm. Oh. And that to me is the essence of branding. If you want to be vanilla, you clearly are not branding well. Vanilla blends in. It's unexciting. Yes. I want to be chocolate and crazy strawberry and Neapolitan. (laughs) Mm. And that, to me, is really the essence of good brands. And so on one hand, I am absolutely thrilled that the CEO questioned me because he got me thinking about my own personal brand. What do I have to do to stand out in this company? And then as it went on, and what do I have to do, and you ladies know this, as an entrepreneur, to make sure people remember me so they can do business with me? And that is all that branding is always about. You know, it's interesting. We were at an event recently, and we ran into a couple of the stars, and one of the things that was interesting, the person we were talking to said, that everybody has to have, and I, I thought of you when she said that, you ha- everybody has to have their personal style. Yes. And, when, and she, then she gave us an example of when you saw um, Princess Grace or Jacqueline Kennedy or um, Catherine Hepburn walk into a room, it was everybody knew they were there. So they had, they had definitely found their own personal style. They did, and one of the things that I'm always big on is not – just to talk about why you should brand, but how. And one of my big things when it talks about how to brand is how do you find your style? So how do you live your brand? And that's really the focus in my book. Not just that you should do it, because it's sort of like dieting. We know we should be doing it. We want to know how to do it. And so if we take that same example when we're talking about signature style, what that means to me is how do you figure out how to dress for your brand. So if you start looking, let's even take, let's say, Carrie from the brand-new movie Sex and the City. Mm -hmm. 
I think Carrie is a brand. And we know in the movie and in every movie she ever does that she's going to be wearing her sky-high Milano Blahniks. She's going to be going crazy buying those in her Jimmy Choo's. Mm-hmm. She's going to be wearing outrageous clothes. She's going to be wearing stuff by Patricia Fields. She's going to play with her hair. She's always going to keep it that color for this movie. And so those are ways that she's wearing her brand. And on the other hand, Samantha is always going to be exuding sex appeal. That's all she wants to talk about. That's all she wants to wear. How low, co- how low can she go? Right? How high can she go on the thigh? And that's the essence of the brand of Samantha. And I think it's important for us as women and as business owners to figure out, well, what is our style? Because great brands are consistent. How I look today is how I'm supposed to look tomorrow. Yes, and you've got that red-hot brand with that red, fiery hair. And I'm telling you, the personality is hotter yet. I love it. To just see you walk on the stage to start. Here's Liz, red-hot branding, beautiful red hair. And And personality just hotter yet. (laughs) And the thing is, I have to keep my red hair. Just like, you know, Crystal Gale has in her contract, she can't cut her hair. Oh, I didn't realize that. And Felicity, if you remember that that TV show, Uh they lost something like 70% of their viewers when the star cut her hair. And so now it's a pretty standard celebrity clause that things that make the celebrity the brand cannot change. I think that's, that's something like June and I, we always wear hats, and people know us for the hats, you know. And it's perfect. And we know like our good friend Tracy Downey. Right, yes. he is always giving out the chocolate. Yes. What right. woman doesn't want to see Tracy? That's right, right. and we know she's going to bring us chocolate, so we want to show up every place she shows up. Yes, and she and often she'll even wear the chef's jacket. But I think every woman can find a way to get their brand and make it consistent. And it doesn't just have to be, you know, we talk about color, we talk about hats, we talk about glasses, we talk about hair, body shape. I mean, who would have thought? that you could brand by body shape. But that's exactly what J-Lo, Beyonce, yes. Tina Turner, mm-hmm. all of those ladies have branded by their body, whether it's their legs, whether it's their booty, whether mm-hmm. <laughs> Dolly Parton's got two big points of her own. All right, now Liz, now Liz, how would you select what you should brand? This really is interesting. <laughs> what, part of, what part of whatever you would go selecting it, how would one know what to select? Well, I see branding as really the perception, how people see you, and Mm. putting it together with what your business is. So if we went back, if you're trying to be the best banker in the universe, it's really tough to figure out if you could be the Samantha style of sex appeal because I think it's in conflict. Right, Right, right. So part of it is really getting down to the authentic you and the authentic brand. Okay, but back up a second. How on earth would a banker today or any day in the banking business ever brand themselves? Oh, my gosh, it's so easy. So the first thing I think you do is you get an informal group of advisors. I don't care if you just write an email to seven best friends, colleagues, prospects, and say, I'm working on my personal brand. Quick, write down the first words you think of me. Mm-hmm. On, on this email and shoot it back to me. Don't make it hard because we know from marketing, every time you make it complicated and hard for somebody, they won't do it. Right? So right. Send this mm-hmm. email back. First five, seven, ten things you think of. And then you start looking and you're looking for the overlap. So oh, yeah. I, for example, mm-hmm. did it and seven out of ten people wrote down the word energetic to describe me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Funny, on all my own speaker materials, and I speak, what, a few hundred times a year, it seems, I never had the word energetic in any of my own press materials. Oh, and that's one of the things I see immediately about you when you yeah. you just step into a room is you bring your energy with you. Yeah, it she just takes spreads the power immediately. You. Yeah. But I yeah. couldn't see it. It's like fish can't see water. So the first step for a oh. business owner is always to go ahead and elicit that feedback to see how do people see you and if it's where you want to be, and if so, how do you project that image? So going back to your key question, June, which is how would a banker brand? Mm-hmm. Well, if she sends out that email and overlaps, let's say, on four or five characteristics of things like um, dependable or reliable or 
trustworthy, well, we know just from that part that she should wear colors even that elicit that. So red, for example, mm-hmm. is a very, an orange are really high energy colors. Mm-hmm. But, of course, blues and green, and especially green for bankers and money, are tremendously soothing colors. Mm-hmm. So even from that, she can start figuring out what works. And there's also a great rule in business that you want to dress appropriate for your clientele and maybe just a little bit more. And this is what I call your visual brand. And a visual mm-hmm. brand, of course, is just one component of your complete brand. So when you start looking at that visual brand, you want to make sure that you're dressing just a little bit up, but so that people can still relate to you. But again, it can't conflict. So if you're never the jeans and sweatshirt sort of a gal, even on casual day, you shouldn't show up like that because that's not who you are. Right. So for but you, also casual, back to the, mm-hmm, yeah. go ahead. So if go you're the casual gal, be back in khaki pants. Going back to the banker and branding, if they wore glasses, they can become a uh, just the glasses like sailor, like uh, Sarah Palin. You know, her glasses. Everybody wants to buy them now, so they could possibly brand themselves in a bank to look totally different from the rest of the bankers, right? Definitely. Hmm. And in fact, just that little thing, glasses have become a key signature from everybody from John Lennon to Harry Potter. Yes. Huh. To Bono. Yes. So, so I really believe that all of these are things that help you project this consistent image. You sometimes mm-hmm. say that everyone needs a Simon Cowell reality check. <laughs> what do you mean by that? I mean that somebody has to eventually be brutally honest with you. So you know how we talked about asking seven friends about what my brand and how you think of me? Mm-hmm. Well, let's say you think of yourself as a great singer. Well, if seven people come back and say, well, you're really fabulous, but you can't sing, Liz, well, that's your brutally honest Simon Cowell answer that says you may want to be a singer, but you're never going to be successful because you can't sing. So by sending that email out, you get your own Simon Cowell of people being honest enough. So if you're telling other folks that you are, let's say, the most, you're whimsical or you're funny, and no one ever comes back and says, witty, humorous, funny, you apparently see yourself that way, but nobody else does. And therefore, it's going to be almost impossible for you to brand upon that characteristic that nobody is even noticing. So it's how the world sees you, and you start with your friends, and then you also ask them to just be brutally honest. This is what I'm feeling, but do I really represent how I feel? Exactly. That is like ding, ding, ding. Yeah. And that's why you have to know. So branding is the perception. It's not what you say you are. It's what other people and how they see you, which is really the, all the difference in the universe. And I bet sometimes when you do ask them, it comes back so different than what you think you are. and you have, So you say, oh, my goodness, I didn't realize that. Yeah, and sometimes, like in my example, all of a sudden it's like, whoa, I have a word I can use. I did this for one of my coaching clients. And what kept coming back was darn funny, exactly that phrase, mm-hmm. darn funny. Mm-hmm. And that's another lesson for our listeners is don't be afraid to use colloquialisms or common words or things that are part of our vernacular. So instead of just saying, oh, well, gosh, darn funny, let's change it to good sense of humor, right? That's sort of the proper way of saying it. We actually created our whole brand as being down-home, darn funny, southern humor. Yes. Because and that's how she introduces herself, down-home, darn-funny Southern humor. And so don't be afraid to use exactly what your people write on their paper. Oh, interesting. That's an interesting thing. Because uh-huh. think about it. Great brands have proprietary words. That's Absolutely. True. And that's exactly when a company takes it to that height that it uh, is what sets them apart from everybody else. Yeah, Liz, let I mean, me ask you something. Sure. When somebody like Tiger Woods, how does he recreate himself now? He has a job ahead of him, but what the good news is, especially in America, we are willing to forgive just about everybody. You do your great mea culpa, your great apology, you go into rehab, and voila, you reemerge successful. But I think the bigger issue is that we really had 
a brand explosion, and Tiger Woods was just one victim. And what I mean about a brand explosion, and this is relevant to every single one of us, is if your brand behavior doesn't equate to the expected brand, you get an explosion. Mm. Mm -hmm. So here's this little equation. If your expected behavior doesn't equate with what your brand stands for by some of your behavior, you have an explosion. So if we put the formula together, we have Tiger Woods, we thought was reliable, fabulous golfer, and sort of this grace under pressure. Mm-hmm. He had this little, or many, 7, 9, 12, 24 women, which was sort of the oops behavior we didn't expect. And then we had the explosion, which was Accenture plus probably five other sponsors drop off. Because his image was destroyed. I mean, he, his wife was there, his children were there, and they were like token to tie in who he was. And then his image that we received it as the public was totally destroyed. We just, Holy. you know, we couldn't believe it. Right, and if you think about it, we can plug into that formula. Uh, Chris Brown, Chris Brown, mm-hmm. good mm-hmm. singer. Whoops, we didn't expect him to beat up Rihanna. What was his no. little explosion? Well, both jail time and... He lost the Got Milk campaign, mm-hmm. right? We saw it with Michael Phelps. So it's really important that the lesson we learn is our brand behavior has to meet our expectations that we've set out. Another thing, don't you think that in today's marketplace that more exposure now is given to who you really are, whether it's the explosion or whether it's uh, you know making a success of something? But the honesty is coming forth greater and faster than what it ever has. I think so, too, and I think that's just because we have media 24-7. Yes. I mean, if you run into me, June, at a restaurant, you can go right onto Facebook or LinkedIn and say, hey, saw Liz Goodgold drinking like a fish or something that night. Well, pretty soon, 24,000 of your closest friends have just found that news out. Right. And that's why it's so important for your brand to be authentic, because you're Mm going to get caught. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think more and more of this being caught, like you say, media 24-7, but the Internet is bringing honesty to people because, you know, they can take these videos. They can do these things. They don't have to say anything. They just put up the video, and there you are, misbehaving. And that's what they're doing. (laughs) They are, but I think there's also really an interesting point that when you can control your brand, like when you write reviews on Amazon or when you mm-hmm. post on Facebook or LinkedIn or MySpace, is you really want to think about, are you posting something that's relevant and proper for the brand image that you're projecting? Mm-hmm. And I think it's really hard and it's really important for young people to say, wait a minute, it might be really cool with all these pictures of me with my friends partying in South Beach, but is that going to look good to a potential employer six yeah. months from now or six years from now? That's right. right. And they don't think about it. And we have to. Mm -hmm. I mean, even you and I have to think about, are we commenting on something that's relevant? And I think that's something with the brand. In other words, I got a phone call from the New York Times, right? That to me is manna from heaven. Liz, we want you to comment. You're the branding guru. I listened to the reporter, and he wants me to comment about how I rebrand Israel in light of the current conflict. Oh, wow. Huh. And my answer was, I'm the wrong branding expert. You need a political branding expert, and I am a personal branding and corporate branding expert. And you have to be ready to say, I can't comment, because the last thing I wanted to do is to have it live, in my case, in infamy of a horrible analysis of a situation that I don't understand. Right. right? So you would not be authentic if you tried to even, even if you have your own feelings about it, because that would take you out of being a personal branding guru. Exactly. So you have in your, and you, your new book is out, right? It is. It was just published, and it's called Red Fire Branding. Red Fire Branding, and that's Liz. But Liz, in the book, you've got a list of seven deadly sins of naming. What are they? The first one is holding a naming contest. And I think that this comes from, well, I can't do the assignment, so let me just put it out to the world and see if they can come up with it. Uh 
But the problem there is you need to have a huge budget. You need to be really linked when it comes to social networking to get the audience to respond. And you have to recognize that most people who enter your contest will spend about 10 seconds on it, especially if you announce the contest, let's say, at a trade show. Mm -hmm. So if you're at the trade show, people say, oh, yeah, I'll come up with a name. Well, great names have due diligence or what I call the diligence behind them. Mm-hmm. You make sure that there's trademark is available. You right. make sure that it doesn't infringe upon somebody else. You make sure that it sounds good, that it doesn't have negative perceptions, that it doesn't have all sexual overtones, all of these things. And unfortunately what happens is you put the contest out, you don't like the results, you wind up by default awarding the prize to somebody, and this is actually a case with one of my clients, then they hired me and still had to pay us to come up with the right brand name. Now, you said a word which, of course, people that know you know it is your word, but explain it to our listeners that maybe have not heard you before, the word, duh. Oh, my word, duh. How did that come about? (laughs) (laughs) Well, my first book was called Duh Marketing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the reason was I really don't think marketing and branding is that difficult. I think if we understand the stories, we'll learn the lessons, and therefore we can avoid stepping in it like so many of the big brands have done. Mm. So you made it simple for people instead of uh, instead of um, making it complicated. It was the marketing and branding. Yeah, so it was just really, really easy. Wonderful, wonderful. But you had asked about my seven deadly sins. So at yes. the top, of course, is in the thing. But here's probably the most important one, and this one is probably the most often violated by entrepreneurs, and that is this. They name the company after themselves. Mm-hmm. And why is that bad? It's bad because I want you to be so successful that eventually someone wants to buy your company or you want to go global. Mm-hmm. And if you become Bedell Sassoon and you get so successful that you sell your company to Procter & Gamble, what happens is, which is exactly the case today, you forever lose the rights to your own brand name. So mm-hmm. Vidal Sassoon is suing to get his brand name back. Mm-hmm. So that but that's means, what he sold, yes. Yes, I mean, the same thing happened with Wally Amos when he sold mm-hmm. his famous Amos Cookie Company. Right. So you never want to sell your own intellectual property, which is your name, because most of us are entrepreneurs for a reason. We live for that challenge and the goal to succeed that if we sell the first business, we know darn well we're going back in to create the second business. I know I had that actually happen to me. I used to have a restaurant in Virginia called Robbie's. It was a five-star restaurant, but when I sold it, I told the person that when was buying it, they couldn't buy my name. They had to change the name because that name was me. So I and I really didn't know about the branding. I just didn't want a restaurant named after me, and I wasn't involved in it anymore. But and you so he, you know, he, he did allow that, but it sort of ties in with what you said. I, you know, I wasn't thinking of that part of it at the time. Well, not only that, if you not even sell it to a big company, you sell it to another individual to take it on, then you're gone, and the people are looking for you. So right. it, it's more difficult for a person to take a name not your own, that has been branded, and purchase that, you'll get more money, right, Liz? Often, yes. And here's the other thing. Let's not forget the probably the best words to explain this situation, and that's Martha Stewart. I mean, she yes. has completely come back, but here is the head of the company in jail, for goodness sakes. And for yeah. a long time, Omni Media was in the toilet. Mm-hmm. But it's completely rebounded, and that, again, is back to the strength of Martha herself, she dealt with it head-on in every single one of her radio and TV shows. Mm-hmm. But most of us, we go to jail. Our brand name is tarnished forever, and it's hard to ever get it back. And but I think the, the thing we were proud also is she just more or less turned herself in. Let me get this done. Let me get this over with, and I'll teach cooking while I'm in jail. Yes, she did. So and don't boy, you think we... it's partly attitude that she had about it? I think so, and I think you're right. She was very candid. As I said, I like her quite a bit, and I admire her success. Mm-hmm. And even listening to her and seeing her on TV, she's fine. She'll talk, she talked about it all the time. Yep. That is just part of her legacy today. But somebody else uh, would make the mistake of not bringing it out into the open public, 
trying to hide it and not being authentic about it. And we know, you know, she made a mistake, so she admitted she made a mistake. Plus, don't even have a trial. Let me go get this done and over with. I want to go on with my business. <laughs> exactly. You know? And so she came back. So that's another reason why. Boy, and then how about this? What happens if you don't sell your company, but you want to take a back seat for a while? And just like you said, Robbie, people who see your name on the door think that you're in residence. Right. right. And it's really hard to recruit a CEO, you know, for the Liz Goodgold company when I'm not there. That's true. So I, that's one of my really, really big pet peeves. Because, you know, we'll hear the name, you know, John Smith and Associates, and the truth is we don't even believe there are any Associates. Right. <laughs> so, Liz, could you see yourself creating another company name which is sponsored by Liz Goodgold? Interesting. Well, I sort of feel I've done that only in that, Red Fire has, even though it was just the name of this book, has sort of become a secondary brand to me. Mm-hmm. And I know that's happening because, A, I'm getting mail addressed to Red Fire. UPS called me last week and said, we're trying to track down this package to you. We have it as the nuancing group. And I'm, yes, 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 that's the corporation. But because of the book, people are knowing me as Red Fire branding. But that's a good name. That would be a good name to sell. Yes, Red and the Fire branding. It would be a very good name to sell, mm-hmm. and the great news is it wouldn't tarnish my brand, and I could create no. three, four, or five more other brands. Mm. So, and anything that would be done under Red Fire branding could be done sponsored by Liz Goodgold Companies. It definitely could, or it could be Procter and Gamble or somebody else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now back to those seven. I don't know. I think I've got three holding a name contest which could be costly and naming the company after yourself is not good. And then you started with Martha Stewart and a comeback. So let's stay with those seven. You know what happens to me? I get so interested, I get sidetracked. And (laughs) you say something and my mind's off running in another direction. Well, you're doing a great job of keeping track (laughs) because the next deadly sin is naming for the moment. And what I mean there is you are wrapped up in things that are happening in 2010. Mm-hmm. And here's a great example. Naming for the moment are using words like ka-ching, right? right? Mm-hmm. Remember the Macarena. You don't want anyone to look at your name and say, oh, my gosh, that is so 1999. Mm-hmm. Right. But that even would apply for where your business wants to go. So I think an example here would be Boston Chicken. Uh-huh. I mean, Boston Chicken was doing fine for about two years, and they started to offer, by the way, turkey and ham, which mm-hmm. was always part of the business plan, and then, oops, their name didn't fit any longer. Right. So they had to expand and change their brand name from Boston Chicken to Boston Market. Mm-hmm. But I think that would be easier to do than uh, because it, that's what it became, really. So when they were just serving the chicken, so now they're known as uh, Boston Market, and the chicken is dropped, and we can buy lots of other things. Right, but I think if they had really looked at their mm-hmm. business plan... And to me, the lesson is not only where are you today, but what are you planning to do in the next 10, 20 years? Yeah, Mm -hmm. because every time you change your name or brand, that costs money. You know, you've got lots of things that need to be changed. Oh, and part of it you just can't simply buy. I mean, it's easy to change signage. It's hard to change people's perception and remember that you're still the same company. Mm -hmm. So you're definitely... Yeah, so you're right, Robbie. They had to spend millions of dollars mm-hmm. in changing that name from Boston Chicken to Boston Market. And right. if they would, like you said, if they would have sat around with a branding expert like you that, and where they, you would ask them some questions, they would have realized that they don't just plan for today. They have to look at where they're going five years out. They definitely do. I mean, there's a company out there, and they just are now looking at changing the name called Modem Media. Well, let me ask you, do you even own a modem? Uh-uh. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I know it's something inside the computer or something. Yeah, well, we used to do it when we had dial-up internet access. Mm-hmm. No one has a modem anymore. Everyone has a router. Oh, I, oh, yeah, the routers have been around years. Yeah, but a router is most of the way most of us get our wireless internet connection. Right. And mm-hmm. it's not through modem, which is a dial-up thing. So even that word has become dated. Mm-hmm. And that's why I don't like naming in the moment. In the moment. In the Doesn't moment. give you the future length. Because great brands really have longevity. 
Right. You know, you one thing that's a today. pet peeve with me and branding is when people name their business something because it's a name they just pull out of their head and, and it doesn't say anything about the type of business they're in. Yeah, that's a hard one because on one hand, if you pull a name out of a hat that has no connection, on one hand, it's good for trademark reasons. And without being a lawyer and all that garbage, what it just means is that the law on trademark actually likes whimsical names or names that don't exactly match. So let's compare it. So a real descriptive name would be California Coast Credit Union. Okay, completely descriptive, but it's so descriptive that they don't have a trademark on that brand name because anything can be along the California coast. Uh-huh. Okay, the same is true with Best Buy. Best Buy also isn't a registered trademark. Courts have yet to approve that hmm. because it's generic. That's why you can go to Vons or Albertsons, Kmart, and find the Best Buy of the day. Oh. Best Buy is not a registered trademark. So that's really oh, the downside of creating a brand name that's so descriptive. And that's exactly our deadly sin number four, using a descriptive name. So I understand when someone picks something arbitrary, which again is sort of a legal term, like Apple Computer actually has a lot of trademark protection because there are no apples in their computers and they're not made with apples and most of the time they're not red. So it's considered an arbitrary mm-hmm. name, and arbitrary names have more trademark protection. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, but I yes, it that. does, and I've I've never heard it explained like that, but it makes good sense because so you, if it is generic, you can't brand it. That's right, and that's and here's the other thing that's is really hard. There's also an element of naming called genericide. So most of us thinks it's great when oh my gosh, our brand became like Kleenex or Xerox or aspirin. But that is an example of genericide. That means your brand has become the substitute for the generic, and therefore you then lose your trademark. You lose it? Yeah, because you you get a box of Kleenex. You don't care what it is. It's still Kleenex, whether it's made by Dove or Puffs or whatever. You still call it Kleenex. Hand me the box of Kleenex. And they've lost it. And that was a made-up name. Right, and they still have their trademark, but Bayer Bayer has lost the rights of the trademark to the word aspirin. And that's why Bayer has been so vociferous in defending the word Cipro. Cipro was the antidote, if you will, to anthrax. And every time someone had anthrax and through the post office, remember, they would make all these employees just, here's a bulk dose of Cipro. Well, Bayer was out there saying, no, they didn't get Cipro. They got another medicine. Because Bayer didn't want to be in the position of having to lose a second most successful brand name in the arsenal in the last 70 oh. years. So the court says if you pick it, you have to defend it. And that's why you'll often see Xerox as a perfect example constantly saying, you do not Xerox our documents. You copy them and you work with us for document storage. Oh, yeah, because we Xerox everything. And that's, that's again, generic when right. it wasn't you- in the beginning. And you it was a made-up name that we had to train the public as to what it meant mm-hmm. and lost it in doing so. Very interesting. Well said, Liz. Wow. And I know our listeners will really appreciate it. If we continue on that vein, and I'll try to go quick, is when you're naming... Don't go quick. I want it all. Okay, we'll give it all. Well, don't forget <laughs> that especially it is the World Wide Web. Yes. Therefore, it's international. Mm-hmm. So you really have to do your due diligence again when it comes to creating a name to make sure it flies with an international audience. And this is just not your cliche of, oh, my God, Nova, which, by the way, most of the statistics show Nova is so perfectly fine in Mexico and other Spanish-speaking countries. The real issue is here is doing some tests to see how it will fly, especially with the most critical audiences. So if you have a brand that you know is going to go to a lot of Asian countries, is really doing extra work to make sure you screen in Tagalog or Korean or Mandarin Chinese so that you're not offending anybody else in those countries. Right. Mm -hmm. Some words are different in different countries. There's a new, and I heard this, when I was over at CEO Space and met this lady who's an attorney in Canada and had never heard this before, 
we know of, you know, branding the intellectual property and our intellectual property rights and all of what you're talking about, there is now intellectual passport, which is exactly what you're saying. It is the property rights, the intellectual property rights, only because it is international, it's now called intellectual passport. Mm. And that was the first time I had heard that. So it stepped up to where it is now being protected around the world, which means uh, trademarking and patents and processes are coming in under intellectual passports. Wow, very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it, it was. It's very cool. And so, I mean, here's a great uh, example of crazy named products. There's a product out there called Sarna, S-A-R-N-A, mm-hmm. and it is, and the label exactly I have it in front of me says anti-itch lotion, great for dry skin, you know, insect bites, poison ivy, all of these things. Well, the name Sarna actually means to itch in Spanish. <laughs> so here is the anti-itch cream called, oh, by the way, itching <laughs> itch. cream. Yeah, yeah, just itch. <laughs> and to me, it's almost no excuse, especially where we are in California and the huge Hispanic population to make yes. such a violation. I mean, we have that even with evite. Right. You know, you and I send an evite, but evite is actually the Spanish word for avatar, which means to shun, to abandon, to actually not respond. Oh. And so I send you an evite, which basically means don't respond. <laughs> Interesting. So they didn't so, do their homework, that's for sure. They didn't, and the CEO actually will say, you're right. I mean, now it's been around for so long, but early on they actually looked at changing that brand name as well because they went, oh, gosh, because that was naming for the moment as well. Mm-hmm. Remember the Internet craze? Yes. We just put E in front yes. of every word and thought it was a brand, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that didn't always work. You know what I love about your books is that you write it so that everybody can understand it, and there's so many great things in the different books that you've written. You know, it's just amazing. Well, I think people just remember stories and examples. So maybe you won't remember, gosh, remember naming for the moment or international, but maybe you'll go, oh, gosh, I remember Boston Chicken example. I remember that e-bike example. I remember that story. And Mm -hmm. that, to me, is so important. Stories are funner. Stories are more memorable. (laughs) Yes. And And I I always say facts tell, but it is the story that sells. You are exactly right. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, so, Robbie. I didn't mean to interrupt. No. I was, so what are some more of the deadly sins? There, I'm deadly getting... sins is um, not seeing how your brand will work on the web. Hmm. So if you took all of your words without apostrophes, squished them together, and put .com on the end, does it really work? Hmm. And you would think how obvious. Well, let's talk about another client of mine, Bill Lloyd. And I looked at Bill Lloyd, and I said, you mean to tell me your website is B-I-L-L-L-L-O-Y-D.com? <laughs> yes, that's me. <laughs> Four L's in a row? I'm like, don't you think it could be William? Yes. Right? William Lloyd is a heck of a lot better. And even and Victoria's B-I-L-L-L-L. Secret. Yeah, Victoria's Secret looks weird because it doesn't have the apostrophe, which we're so used to seeing. Mm-hmm. Or even Oracle, and this one cracked me up. Oracle has a product called Virus Exchange. And if you put Virus Exchange, and all of our listeners, if they can't get it, please feel free to write it down. Look at Virus Exchange, all squished together, and you'll see embedded in that word another word. Sex change. Oh, my goodness. Not oh. good. So yeah. that, to me, becomes part of your brand because our brands now live on the web. Isn't that something? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. And and how does it look and what does it say? Right. And then the last is really making sure you do some sort of investing in your trademark. So Googling a brand name does not count as trademark research. It's a great first step. And if you don't know about it, you really should know about USPTO.gov. That stands for the United States Patent Trademark Office.gov. That is the free, my favorite four-letter word, search through at least the federal trademarks. And it's only about three or four months out of date. In other words, it takes longer to get it online versus real time. But that's a much better place to look. 
So Google your things to see what brand name you're proposing, but you also want to go to USPTO.gov as a second step, and then you need to do more exhaustive steps as a third or fourth. But I can't tell you how many times, probably 10 times a year, we create brand names for companies, or as I say, rebrand them, because they have trademark infringement against them. They were small. They said, we're not spending the money. We're under the radar. Well, each and every time those companies became successful, one of my clients in Boston, for example, had an amazingly good clinical trial drug that was now ready to come to market. Well, only when they were ready to come to market did they realize that they had never done the good due diligence on their brand name, and we had to rebrand them. Wow. So, and That, that should be the first thing, don't you think, Liz, is for everybody to to research and maybe get an attorney that – uh, they can do a filing and check it right down to the wire, right? They should, but I'm saying you can do the first few steps all mm-hmm. on your own, all from the comfort of your mm-hmm. own office, and the first few things for free. Then you can go, and I love those intellectual property lawyers talk with counsel to get another opinion and to do more exhaustive. But if you already fail when you're looking at yourself at some of these easy things, it's really hard to imagine that in those free searches, you're not going to uncover more. Liz, is that something you do also for your clients when you take on a client? Do you research all that stuff for them and coming up with branding names and things like that? We definitely do. We do all of the preliminary. And then when we're at the final wire, because we are not a law firm, we 100% team up with our intellectual property law firm and so that we have the final counsel and they can explain all the nuances of it. But we so what's don't great is we, you have the creativity from you, from you and your staff, and the, and the fact that you really know branding and know, and then you know what the potential client is doing to be able to come up with something really great for them. It is. I mean, we changed the name, for example, from, for the Child Abuse Prevention Foundation. So we changed it from the Child Abuse Prevention Foundation to Promises to Kids. Mm, I like that. Oh, I like it much better. Yeah, and it was really critical that we change it because the foundation was kicked off of MySpace. No matter what Susan Golding, our former mayor, did, they said, you look like you're promoting child abuse. And she kept saying, we're a 501c3. Look at our great legacy. She couldn't get it. It didn't matter. And then they did a whole thing on a news special, sort of the To Catch a Predator, and every single time the announcer kept calling it the Child Abuse Foundation. People kept forgetting the little word called prevention. Wow. Right. So we came up with promises to kids, but one of the great things with our lawyer was about 15 years ago there was an old organization out there called Promises to Kids. So the lawyer went and contacted them and said, can we coexist? It doesn't look like you've used this name. Have you really abandoned it? But it was just to arm us with the legal rights to make sure a new CEO that comes in and doesn't change his mind, oh, no, 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 we're now going to sue you for using the name Promises to Kids. We made sure that we had all the domains, the .coms, the .orgs, and had all what I call the surrounding property so that the name could really go out and succeed. Hmm, wow. That's good. Yeah, so, what, a, what a change. So, Liz, how do women brand by color? They brand by really picking a color that fits them and wearing it pretty consistently so it becomes a signature. It doesn't have to be cliche, but it does really work because we see color before we see virtually anything else. We see it within the first three seconds. Oh, my God, you've got blonde hair. You've got the red suit on. You've got the purple suit. And I think it doesn't ha- it's one way women can brand. And they can sort of look at themselves, if you will, as if they are their own walking, talking mascot. So if you were a walking, talking mascot for your brand, you recognize that out there there are all these people who are walking and talking for UPS. And UPS has done a great job of branding the color brown. Mm-hmm. And Tiffany's done a great job of branding that fabulous robin egg blue. And Nexium has become our purple yeah. pill. Right. And FedEx right. has always been red, white, and blue. Yeah. So you look at these colors and you realize, wait a minute, can we learn something from them? And I think you can. So picking a color, so obviously I always go out to speak in a red suit. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, now I seem like I have nine of them. 
Red that hot branding. Mean, <laughs> but that doesn't mean, yeah, I mean, I'm forbidden from wearing any other color. It just means for my signature events, it makes sense to use yeah. it and to brand by color. Yeah. And you're literally right. just taking a page from great corporate branding experts when you do that. And you've also mentioned something about even down to gesturing, that you can brand with gestures. How would that happen? Well, I think a good example here is Roger Ebert. I'm a Chicago gal. Again, I was at Quaker Oats in Chicago. And Roger Ebert, as a film critic, really introduced to us that whole thumbs-up gesture. And now everybody can give a movie, right? Everyone tries. Hey, do you get the thumbs up or the thumbs down? And that became his signature move. And even when he's coming out of the hospital, and you're probably aware he's been suffering with cancer, Mm -hmm. he gives that thumbs up sign. Mm -hmm. And here's a great, amazing story that shows the power of gestures. Family Guy, the TV show, had an animated character in one of its episodes in which a cleaning lady was pushing a cart. She was wearing a bonnet, and her cart was loaded with the mops and the brooms and everything you would expect. Carol Burnett was watching, and she said, Trademark infringement. That was just like my character I used to play in the old Carol Burnett show. That's my intellectual property. The family guy said, No, no, it's a cleaning lady, any cleaning lady. There's millions of them walking the streets every single day. Not your issue. And she said, aha, but she pulls her ear at the end of that segment, and that was my signature gesture, and the court sided with Carol Burnett. Yes. Oh. So how she is... pulled her ear. That's right. That was her little code to her mama. That's right. She's fine. Everything's mm-hmm. good. I'm pulling my ear, and that's how she closed every single episode of the Carol Burnett show. Mm-hmm. So I look at when you look at the color, when I look at your body shape, when I look at your gestures, what they all sum up to me is this. If you cannot be imitated, you are not a brand. Mm, That's interesting. So if you have your friend and she can't rib you by walking this way or putting her hair behind her ear like Maria Sharapova always does when you watch her play tennis, right? Mm -hmm. Or the way Cher used to flick her hair on the Sunny and Cher show or the way that Paris Hilton is always saying, ooh, that's hot. If your friend's can't imitate you, you have become vanilla and you're not a brand. And I love to use that as my litmus test. If you think you're being that full, authentic, personable person, people can rib you for it. And that's good. The problem is most women are so afraid of venturing out and letting their personality be known. Oh, I can't share. That's too personal. Yet we all do business with people. So it better be personal. The more I know about you, pretty much the more I love you and the more I want to do business with you. That's true Mm. because we're in the the era of building the relationship. Uh, We're down to 12 minutes, so I want to – you mentioned something about that the 30-second infomercial is dead. Why is that? It's dead for a few reasons. The first is everybody has ADD, attention deficit disorder. We cannot watch 30 seconds of a commercial on TV, so there's no way we're going to listen to someone blab on for 30 seconds. I mean, I look at it this way. I send my son a text message. He can't even text back, okay, mom. He texts back one letter, K. That's it. That's the total extent of his attention. Wow. K. So if these great commercials being produced like a Budweiser, which costs $20 million, and we're not watching it, and you and I are fast-forwarding it, we don't want to listen to anyone for 30 seconds. And the web has really taught us that it's, everything's permission-based. I have to ask you to market to you. Yes. Right? You opt yes. in. You watch the video on YouTube if you want to. So, therefore, I've created this seven-second hook, which means I tell you just a little snippet and it's really my opt-in question and statement. Ooh, mm-hmm. are you interested? Yes. If so, you get the best phrase you could ever hear. Whoa, tell me more. Right. The minute someone says, whoa, cool, tell me more, you know that your seven-second hook is working. If, on the other hand, you say something and people go, um, I'm sorry, I don't, what do you do? I don't understand. Or they scratch their head or they nod their head, 
Mostly, when we nod our head, it means we don't understand what you're saying. <laughs> so how would you say how would you say seven seconds in regard to your new book? Help people remember you in order yes. to do business with you. That's all my book is about. Mm-hmm. That is the mm-hmm. secret to branding. Wow. Say that again. Oh. I like that. People have to remember you in order to do business with you. Right. That's what the whole thing of this book is about, how to brand, how to arm yourself with quick, easy, simple ideas that anyone can implement. And, uh, Liz, how can our listeners give the website and how can they get in touch with you and where is the best place to order that book? I think the easiest way is Amazon. Okay. Redfirebranding.com is my website. Up on Amazon you can order it. You can order the book directly from redfirebranding.com. You listen to anything here. You have questions about trademark. I welcome all of your listeners to drop me an email. You can contact me at liz at redfirebranding.com. Wonderful. So if it's about naming, if it's about branding, how do I brand? What are my techniques? How do I get my news out there? Those are all key branding questions, and that's something I can help. So what uh, advice would you have for our viewers? I think the best advice We have eight minutes, so. So to me, it's really make sure you understand your brand, then make sure you live your brand. And if you are doing both of those consistently, and consistency is key, People will depend upon you and rely upon you. And you realize that when you start doing these, you start to build that really cool thing, which is the whole Bonnie Raitt song. Let's give them something to talk about. You want people talking about you. (laughs) Yes. Oh, my God. Did you see Robbie? Did you see what she did? Did you hear about her event? Did you hear about her For You Network? Did you hear? That's what you want. You want to create that incredible buzz. But it's about, and you craft it. Go ahead. Yeah, Liz, is that part of what you call a proprietary vocabulary? No, what I call part of your proprietary vocabulary are words that you use and they eventually start to relate to only you. So one of my words, and I'm sure you've heard it, is I always think the world and branding should be funner. Funner. Okay, and mine is you've just entered the universe. Oh, my God, that's phenomenal. (laughs) That is. So my email is universe11, which is my lucky number. Oh, that is so perfect. Oh, let me give you another one. And okay. people are not understanding it. Um, Marshalls, right? Marshalls will say they misordered 700 shirts. Their over-purchase is your shopportunity. Right. Shopportunity, I love it. I love those little made-up words. It's funnier. I like it the is. other one you used, June. It's <laughs> listen up. Oh, yes. And how about you, Robbie? You have yours. Tell everybody. You say it all the time. It's a perfect trademark phrase for you. Yeah, it's all about showing up and the powers in the asking. That's right. It's all about showing up. Every time I hear that phrase, I think of you. Yeah, I think of Robbie. Yeah, Yeah, so does everybody else. And that's perfect. Every time I hear about Juniverse, I'm thinking of you, June. (laughs) Thank you. That's universally speaking. Oh, (laughs) And it's it it comes from the the county of Juneville. (laughs) It's just so funny. But that's exactly. So you remember when I was talking about the diligence? Yes, diligence, yes. That would be another example. I'm working with some folks. I hope you love these guys. Pete's Coffee. Oh, yeah. Yes. Well, if yes. you are a rabid Pete's Coffee fan, and I certainly am, you become a Pete Nick. Oh, oh I it. love it. <laughs> and that's really great because its origins are from Berkeley, California, during the whole Beatnik era. Right. Oh, wow. I love it. I love it. So that works. And those are just examples. Who is the whole oh, sure one more that I really love. Um, M&M's. If you become part of the M&M pa- panel, you become an ambassador. 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 Or it's all about men and money. <laughs> you know, Liz, you give out those. You give out those awards all the time. Uh, that people who, you know, branding awards for people who don't do such a great job. How did you start that? Well, I started it from all of my speaking. You know, I would go and talk to women and associations on how to build strong brands, and inevitably, just like here, I start telling stories, right? I'm talking about this company, and right now, Four Seasons is looking about giving up its fresh flowers. I'm like, if they give up fresh flowers, they've given up the Four Seasons brand. Right. And so people would say, Liz, tell me more stories. Tell me the worst example. 
Okay, now they would say, tell me a great example. And from that, that's how my newsletter was born. So to this day, I've been writing it now for nine consecutive years. Yeah, it's great. Is I'm always talking about what's the worst marketing misstep and what's an example of a great one on the exact same issue. And, and so if people go to your website, I want you to give your website and your email again, then they can sign up for that free newsletter because it is absolutely wonderful. I love getting it. Yeah, so they can go to redfirebranding.com. Again, right on the home page, sign up for my free brand finale newsletter. And I'm always talking. So this month, for example, I talk about Computer Associates. Computer Associates decided to rebrand themselves as CA. Well, duh, when you Google CA, you know what you get? <laughs> I just love that duh business. Yes, go ahead. Canada. You get Cocaine Anonymous, and you get the state of oh, California. Really? Oh, you're kidding. You get what? They changed the name from Computer Associates to CA. CA, yeah. Okay, yeah. well, put CA in Google, and what do you get? Cocaine Anonymous. Oh, my goodness. I mean, again, so the lesson, CA is also uh, the state of California. I mean, right mm-hmm. there you'll get the first page, Wikipedia. Learn more about the state of California. Learn Our more Canada. about Cocaine mm-hmm. Anonymous. Oh, my goodness. And so they people should Google things before they do, even Google their own name and see what's there. It's really surprising sometimes. Yes, and that's oh, and um, uh, also Rubby, because I just I just had to go there immediately. I am now on Liz's Red Fire Branding Services, and and there she is in her red suit with that <laughs> smile and how she crosses her arms when she comes. Oh, she's sassy. Just look at that. It just looks <laughs> I'm right there with her, and she walks out with that attitude. Isn't that wonderful? And she's a fabulous speaker. I mean, yes. I, every time she speaks, I just love it, and everybody. Yes. Glued to every word she said. Well, we're down another, to three minutes, Liz. So, what would you would you like to leave something, um, one last minute thing for our listeners? Yes, I would say that listeners should sort of develop a checklist, which is what's working and what's not, and then that becomes their action plan. So, even as I've been talking today, start you doing your little checklist. Am I branding by color? Do I have a vocabulary? Am I consistent? Do I have a Simon Cowell on my staff who can help be brutally honest with me? Mm -hmm. Do I have a vocabulary? Do I have a seven-second hook? And start putting it, and now you have your action plan. So, again, it's not just, oh, man, I probably should be doing something about my branding. Well, let's move you from shoulda to done. Right. And I think it's great. You told everybody that you love to hear from them, so... That is great. Give them your website and email one more time. Sure. Come visit me at redfirebranding.com. You can always drop me an email, liz at redfirebranding.com. And the book is available with exactly step-by-step instructions on how to brand. You can find it at my site or always at Amazon. Well, that's wonderful. And we really were excited to have you tonight as our guest. Oh, right, Liz. Yes, thank you so much. Oh, my God. Always, always a treat. It's been delightful, but not only that, it's been so informative. And and even though we think we know something, we really don't. We sort of take things for granted, and here you've enlightened us as to why and how and the reason behind doing things and naming things and moving forward to do your own brand in many ways. I just thank you so much. I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed it. Well, Me thank too. you. I've it was certainly a treat. Things. Well, we're... Getting down to one minute, and we wanted to let everybody, letting everybody know that our next show will not be the first uh, Sunday because that's the Fourth of July weekend. We're moving it up a week, and our guest is going to. We're going to be talking about how to have a million-dollar database with Michelle Burkus, and she's wonderful as well. And again, Liz, thank you so much. I'm I'm going to be calling you because we're going to do a NAFI conference next year in May, so Yay. I want to talk to you. We did one three years ago, and we're bringing it back, so I'm going to call you and talk to you. And I and love your card. Your uh, your new card is great, just so great. Oh, well, and, thank you. Yes, and Robbie, very quickly, are there any of our listeners, we, we frequently get so carried away, we forget to ask for questions because we ask them to wait until the end. Do we have any time yeah, for any questions? Yeah, we have some, but, but I think we don't have oh. enough time, so oh. they're, they're glued to everything. They were all Okay, then, then let them email, email Liz. Email right. Liz for your answers. I'm so sorry. 
that's okay. It was great fun, and more importantly, I hope people really got something that will help them. And I'm going to go online and get me my book. (laughs) Sounds like a plan. Absolutely. Me too. (laughs) Yeah, because we can do some branding, that's for sure. Oh, yes, and we need all the help we can get. Anyway, thanks again, Liz. Have a great week, and look forward to seeing you soon. Sounds great. Thanks, ladies. Bye-bye. 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 Robbie Mutter.